Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Pelosi. He is president and a financial advisor with HFM Investment Advisors. We're going to talk to him about the work that they're doing with cannabis. I think as most people listening to the program know that cannabis is not like most other industries. We've got some wrinkles when it comes to federal legal status, <laughs> and it causes all sorts of kind of ripple effects in terms of things that I think a lot of companies and a lot of industries kind of take for granted. And a lot of it has to do with just kind of the financial side and, and the issues with banking and, and things like that. And we're going to talk to Michael about this whole issue of 401ks and, and the programs that companies put in place for their employees. A lot of these cannabis companies are growing quite significantly. They're becoming quite big, having lots of people involved. And you really need to kind of think through what are your strategies for providing benefits and making sure you're taking care of your people. And, and really the options that I think most industries have, we've got to figure out in, in cannabis how to start providing those things. So we're going to talk to Michael about his experience there and um, you know what companies can do, what they can't do, and how to make these things work. 
So with that, Michael, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Bruce. i looking forward to today. I've been thinking about this over the past week and some of the topics, and I'm really looking forward to having a nice conversation uh, with Excellent. you. Excellent. Thank you for taking the time. So before we kind of dive into the cannabis industry and, and 401ks and, and some of these programs, give us a little bit of your professional background. How did you get involved in cannabis? Give us a little bit of the story. Sure, sure. Be happy to. I am the uh, president and founder of HFM Investment Advisors, and we are an independent registered investment advisory firm. And so we work with individuals and companies all throughout the United States. Being an independent RIA, what we say in our industry, is important for our clients because we are unique and different than most brokers or um, salespeople where they're mostly on commission. We are independent. So we get, we are a fee-based, mm-hmm. uh, fee-only firm. So we get paid for our advice and yeah. to help our clients and make them the best decisions that they can uh, do for their 401k plans and on their wealth management side. And uh, how I got involved with cannabis, really, I didn't go after a cannabis. <laughs> cannabis kind of came after me. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I like to say, um, I, I'm good friends and I work with a local bank vice president who worked with cannabis companies and helping them out in the banking industry. And as individuals know, it's tough to find a bank that will work mm. with the cannabis industry. And so as he was building his client list of cannabis companies, they were asking him, he was the go-to guy, they were asking him, who else can we talk to for payroll, other financial services? And as 401k came up, we had a conversation at the time. I didn't have any cannabis clients and I didn't know any different. And so I'm like, sure, we could help these <laughs> companies. Not a problem. So I spoke to all each of the record keepers that we spoke to. And yeah. at first, their initial answer was, well, sure, we could help them until they ran it up corporate management and they said no. But over time, we found a law firm that we've worked with for years. They are a third-party administrator. Mm-hmm. They're a national firm. They're located in Philadelphia. But we've been working with them. And they said, yes, we can. And we have been working with cannabis companies. And we have a relationship with a couple record keepers that can help us out. And so my journey with cannabis companies and 401k started right there. And I was getting one referral at a time working as a team with this third party administrator and a record keeper. And it's been been pretty fruitful so far over the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. And so why is this complicated? Like when you originally kind of were approached to provide 401k and it was kind of like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Like what were the stumbling blocks or, or what did you learn as you started to talk with these record keepers about actually writing these 401k programs? As most individuals in the financial industry know that cannabis is not regulated, uh, approved, you know, throughout the United States. So any banking industry did not want to take on a cannabis company because of they're only approved in some states and not others and not federally. So they didn't know what states we've been working in and they weren't able to have a comfort level yeah. with representing these companies because it's, it's considered illegal in some states and federal. So as much as the representatives thought it would be okay, when you finally got to the top, they said, no, we don't feel comfortable. This is muddy waters. We're trying to navigate it. And we have too much at stake at this point. So that's where most of their concerns were, just taking that on, those companies on. Yeah. And I I hear that a lot. It's not so much that they kind of don't want to do business with cannabis. It's that it would risk all of their other you know, clients or portfolios, you know, whether it's on the legal side and, you know, in banking, it's like issues that came up in cannabis could affect, you know, 
very large portfolios of other clients, but even at like I've had service providers, like if you're a marketing company and you're all like, yeah, sure, let's let's do business with cannabis, but then you look at your client list and you're like, Ugh, yeah, how are my current clients going to, you mm-hmm. know, think about this? Is it going to hurt my ability to get new clients? Is you know, it's 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 a real issue, right? And I, I think thankfully it's changing. But it's still there, and I think a lot of companies have to have to deal with that. So, I guess as you as you kind of discovered some of these complexities, like how did you go about finding you know some of these people that would write these programs? Yeah. So we again, it was through our connections of the law firm that they had connections that they've been working with a lot of companies out in Colorado. Obviously, that's where a lot yeah. of most of these cannabis companies started. So they had a, they had a although they are an East Coast firm, uh, they had a lot of presence with companies in Colorado. So it took me a while to really get comfortable, even though the administrators said that they've been working with cannabis companies, with a record keeper for several years Mm -hmm. and have companies on the books. It took me literally about a year just to feel comfortable because it still was an unknown. And it's my company. And you know, I didn't want to expose the rest of, like you said, the rest of my clients or the rest of the vendors we work with to that exposure. But after several meetings and reinsurances and confidential clients that they represent and speaking with them, I felt comfortable being able to work with those record keepers. And after we signed up our first plan and it went through, then the doors were open for me. And yeah. I said, let's continue to move forward and work with more companies. Yeah. I think a lot of folks are in, in your position or, or are in what the position you were in before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and just like seeing an opportunity, but also just not quite sure and, and realizing, yeah, there are some uh, risks or at least, um, you know, concerns that you need to investigate before you really kind of get into cannabis, particularly if you have you know, an existing business and other industries and you're looking to cut what I say pivot into cannabis or, or build, you know, cannabis portion of your business. What are some of the questions that you are asking and, and, you know, as you kind of working with these folks, as you're meeting with some of their existing clients, what actually gave you the confidence? Were there questions that you were asking or things that they were able to show you that helped you feel more comfortable about getting involved in the space? In terms of the actual record keeper or just working with the cannabis companies by themselves? Well, both. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I think a lot of companies are in this situation. It's like, I want to do business in cannabis, but I'm not quite sure. And, and what would you suggest that they start investigating or the questions they ask or the things they look for to build up their confidence that this is a good space to get in? Yeah. So what I started to realize after having the first couple conversations is that this industry is here to stay and it will eventually be federally uh, regulated, approved, whatever the legal terminology may be. And it's going to dominate a lot of our marketplace. So when I started speaking with the cannabis companies, they were hiring from many different industries, you know, from law firms to marketing, other salespeople, they were hiring pharmacists. And the common question and theme that I started to hear was, we need to offer competitive benefits like outside of the cannabis industry to attract and retain these high level, in some of the companies, high-level, C-level sales individuals or marketing in terms of retirement. Because if you're taking a pharmacist who may have worked for CVS or Walgreens for 10 or 15 years, they've been putting money into their retirement plan. They're used to saving for retirement. They're used to the tax deduction. And we know that's the only way you're going to save for retirement. So they were getting questions as they were hiring, well, 
I need a 401k. Do you have a 401k in place? And the answer was always no. Mm-hmm. And it prevented some of the hiring outside of the industry to come over because they didn't have the benefits. So we found that it was a great attraction to not only retain, but attract new high level employees so that they can save for retirement, but also roll over their 401k into this plan. Now, hindsight, a couple of these plans, we have a couple of larger companies. They went from a startup plans because all of the companies, mm-hmm. cannabis companies, they don't have any plans. So we start from seven hundred, eight hundred, 800, close to a thousand employees already in the wow. plans in a couple of years. So they're literally starting to grow and we start to see the assets. So it's an important retention tool and it's an important tool to help attract new talent. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of your strategy, I mean, getting, getting involved in cannabis, do you see this as kind of investing in the space right now and, and it will return in the future? Or are you already seeing kind of good returns in terms of you know, working with cannabis companies and, and how you make your money and you know, building your book of business? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. At first, I took it very slow because, I, again, I was a little bit leery. Mm-hmm. But what was happening is a lot of these cannabis companies speak with each other, whether mm-hmm. they're conferences or study groups, whatever it may be at their different levels. And they talk about some of the issues. And one of the issues happened to commonly be around 401k plans. So I, up until this year, I really haven't gone out and marketed our services to cannabis. One, because I was just a little bit nervous. I didn't yep. know what it would attract, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of regulators and things like that. But after doing our due diligence, I knew that wasn't an issue, but we were getting referrals from one company to another. And so a cannabis company said, hey, I would get a call out of the blue. I heard you represent XYZ cannabis company in their 401k. They said, you've been doing a great job. Can you help us out? And we're like, sure. And they're like, great, because we've talked to six other advisors and everyone tells us no. And so after finding out that there is a a, uh, a true market. When I started doing some research this year into marketing, the marketplace is unlimited. And so now I really have to find out a focused approach of how to speak with the right companies to help build our business in this space. Because what we're finding out is there's a lot, a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on in the industry. Sure. And so luckily we're working with some of the larger companies that are doing the acquisitions and it's making it easier for them to help the deal put together. So I'm learning because there, if you Google cannabis companies, there are so many different forms of companies, really small ones, medium, large ones. So I have to make sure that I approach it the correct way to make the best use of my time also, right? Yeah. Give the best service. Yeah. And have you noticed any kind of halo effect or, or repercussions on your existing business in terms of, you know, either in terms of the, the messaging or how you're focusing your time and energy, how similar or different cannabis is to, to working with these other industries? Give me a sense of how it's impacted things. Yeah. No, what we, what we have found is that because of the cannabis companies are all across the country and kind of this cumulative effect of COVID and working with companies across the country, we had to figure out a way to be a lot more efficient with our time and our communications with our employees. Because our, our approach, we spend most of the time speaking with and educating and answering questions of employees of all of our 401k plans. And so with COVID hitting, we weren't able to get on a plane and fly out to Colorado and mm-hmm. speak to them. We weren't able to go up to New York City and meet in their offices. So 
that was more common with the cannabis companies because they were more spread out around the country where a lot of our other clients were local. So we really embraced Zoom. Is, um, it was a game changer for us for our quarterly webinars. We're able to now do quarterly webinars for all of our plans all at one time. We do podcasts. We're doing a lot of videos that are dedicated to those specific companies about their plan highlights. And then in all of our communications that we send out every month is a link to speak with one of our advisors. So we were able to kind of take the COVID situation and really multiply it with not only our existing 401k clients that are local, but now nationally. And when we rolled it out to some of the companies on the West Coast, they thought it was great because they know not only that we can't go out there and visit them, but all of their employees are still working from home. <laughs> yeah. So there's no office to go to to talk to anyone. So we've been able to, take, as you would say, take that halo effect and uh-huh. apply it amongst all of our clients. Yeah. Uh, and as you've kind of worked with cannabis companies, what are the things you've kind of noticed about know, just kind of generally how the industry works, what's similar or different than other industries. I'm, I'm always fascinated by observations people make coming into cannabis, you know, that, um, you know, have familiar with other industries. Do a little compare and contrast for me. Like, what do you notice? Yep. So one of the, there's two big things that I've noticed. The biggest thing is with non-cannabis companies, for ownership purposes, you usually will see one or two owners whether it's the two founders, a husband and wife, family-run business, that's pretty typical for your, we'll call it mom-and-pop small businesses, businesses that are you know, $25 million and below, right, under 100 employees. What we're finding out with some of the larger cannabis companies, and even the medium size right now, is that there's multiple owners, investors, venture capital that are putting these companies together. And so it's not a homegrown company that started maybe as a, we have a local contractor who was started out as a plumber, you know, 15 years later, he has his own HVAC company. And five years after that, he sold it, right? So that's kind Mm -hmm. of a one person story. Here you're having lots of big investors getting together, putting together their strategies, and then buying lots of other companies. So we run into some issues, which is not common with regular businesses, terms of common ownership. If they own other businesses for 401k purposes, sometimes that becomes an issue where you may have to include the different ownership or companies into the testing. So oh, the yeah. testing becomes an issue with some of our clients because there's, like I said, there's multiple owners and multiple businesses involved. So going into before we start a plan, there's a lot more work, a lot more testing that we have to do to make sure that we don't run into any red flags for for their plan because the Department of Labor and IRS has lots of all these crazy rules about ownership. And we ran, ran into a couple issues where we weren't able to put a plan in place even though they wanted to because of this common ownership rule. And so one was, you know, there was too many companies and we were going to be put together. We had one situation where a major shareholder just didn't want to divulge his ownership in other companies for whatever reason, which is yeah. fine. And so we had to put the plan on hold. So you don't find that in regular, you know, regular small businesses locally. So let's let's dig into that just a little bit because I remember in my business and we set up our 401k, it was very complicated. We had we had several high net were high earning individuals and we had to wait the plan and we were doing a safe harbor and I just I I do remember it was fairly complicated. And this was probably more than 10 years ago now. I'm sure things have changed, but for businesses in cannabis who are thinking about kind of putting into these you know, starting a 401k 
what what are some of the these tests that you're talking about? Like, what are the factors they need to think about to see either whether they can do a 401k or if they're going to do a 401k, the things they need to think about in terms of, you know, who's contributing and how much and what the kind of weightings are going to be and, and potentially what the trade-offs are? Yeah. So that was kind of a perfect lead into my second issue where you're comparing and contrasting regular companies. So that was perfect. Good. <laughs> it was like I scripted it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest issue we are starting now to run into is almost all of the cannabis companies who start their 401k plans are starting it with employee deferrals only with no match, uh-huh. right? And the reason why they're doing that either is they're not sure of what the cash flow may be to put a match out for everyone, yeah. or the, and this gets more into accounting, but from a high level, the contributions that would be for a match for a 401k plan are not deductible. So there's all these different, you know, it's part of the 280 rule, which yeah. falls under the accounting, which really not that well versed, <laughs> but I know that's one of the main reasons they're not putting in matching because yeah. you're not getting a deduction for it, right? Exactly. So why is that critical? So when your company starts to get larger and you have anyone that makes more than $130,000 in annual compensation, then they fall into what you were probably referring to, HCEs or highly compensated employees. So why is that important? So if you make more than $130,000, you're considered a highly compensated employee, you are then considered part of the HCE group. And they, the Department of Labor, IRS has two groups, HCE and non-HCE. So why is that important? So if you are a non-HCE, you make $130,000, the IRS looks at the average deferral from all those employees, including zero. So let's say you have a group of 50 employees that are non-HCE. And the average that they save on a year is 5% of their pay, right? So that then limits everyone in the HCE group to 2% more than their average. So the HCEs are now limited on what they could put in up Mm -hmm. to most of the time those high income earners want to put away the maximum that they can which is either 19500 per year, or if you're over 50, you could do another $6,500 per year for a total of $26,000 per year. So if you're making $200,000 and you're limited to 7%, that's $14,000. Well, if you want to save 26, you're not allowed. Yeah. What's the logic here? I mean, this is just to prevent companies from using the you know 401k structure to just basically sock away a bunch of money for the people that are making a lot of money pretty much it's yeah. the department of labor irs rules yeah. to to basically that's it so you're not putting too much money away yeah. and so the way to prevent that from happening is to start having conversations now what we're doing with a lot of these plans two to three years in of putting together what you mentioned, a safe harbor plan. And there's many different types of basically, it would then require the employer to do some type of match. And the most common match is where the employer would either put away dollar for dollar, up to 4% of what the employees are paying, or 100% of the first three, and then 50% up the next two, up to 5%. So they're basically have to, if you're looking from a cash flow or a budgetary basis, about 4% of payroll for anyone that wants to put money into the 401k plan. Yeah. And, and that's benefit, right? Like, I mean, I, I certainly remember when we were doing it for our company, it was, you know, we touted that as being, you know, one of the benefits of working for the company is basically we're, you know, we're going to give you more money effectively through the 401k system. And 
I mean, yeah, it had a benefit for the company and that allowed allowed us to kind of pass these tests or allow then everyone to kind of contribute what they wanted. But, you know, it was a benefit to the employees. Correct. And where we find that's most prevalent, that it's more commonplace, Bruce, is for the smaller companies, companies that have 10, maybe 15, 20 employees, where they, the owners, put in a retirement plan to mostly benefit them to see if they can help their retirement or their tax deductions. Mm -hmm. And since they don't have a lot of employees... They're more than happy to put in a safe harbor plan or a profit sharing plan because there's creative ways to get most of that money to the owners of a company. Mm -hmm. And so the smaller plans that we have, the smaller companies, they will do a match or they will do a safe harbor because we're designing the plan to help benefit the owners. Where the larger companies, it's more of a benefit to all the employees to save money. And so it comes with our guidance and counseling to help determine what is the best path for them to put the right plan in place. Yeah. And what does it actually take to put these plans together? I mean, what what does the process look like? What are the documentation? What's the time frame? I mean, give give us a sense of kind of the complexity and the kind of work involved. It's usually not that hard to be honest with you. From the time that company tells us go, it's usually a 45 to 60 day window. We have to put together the third party administrator, which is that law firm we were talking mm-hmm. about, the record keeper, and then with us. So they have they hire three different vendors and we act as the um, the liaison between all the vendors to help them out. And the biggest time frame is really probably two one-hour meetings up front to help understand the ownership structure that we spoke about earlier and how they want to design the plan, whether they do a match, they don't do a match, what the eligibility dates may be for new employees and things like that. So we want to design the plan. And then it just is paperwork. And usually within 45 days, no more than 60 days, we've coordinated and spoke with the payroll company. We put the files together, what they need to do to upload all the deferrals, and they're up and running. After the first couple contributions are made, then we would do workshops and educate all the employees about their new benefits. And then it kind of is pretty smooth from there. A year end, we do testing for those highly compensated employees. So there's a little bit more year end work. But it's not that hard, to be honest with you, because you're, you're starting the plan fresh. So you're not having to speak with the old record keeper or where the plan assets mm-hmm. are currently held and converting it over. It's a yeah. pretty simple process. It's really painless, to be honest with you. Yeah. And what are the things that an owner would need to keep in mind as the company grows? Is you know, they take on more employees, if they start doing acquisitions, they start opening offices in new states. I mean, what what are the events that someone needs to be thinking of or or that would impact their 401k or would, you know, want you'd want to review your 401k at some level? Yeah, one is future costs. So as your plan assets grow and you add number of employees on, your costs will continue to grow because some of the record keepers charge the companies on a per head basis. Mm -hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Right now, that we're limited to a couple record keepers, but once it opens up federally, we tell our clients, since we are vendor neutral, we don't represent just one, it will be our job then to go to all the other 401k record keepers, and then what we call benchmark your plan. So cost is a big thing to keep in mind as you start to grow and you do acquisitions. 
is are as a fiduciary of the plan, the plan sponsors, are we doing our due diligence to stay in compliance to make sure that we are benchmarking our plan, getting the best value and services for what we're paying compared to the industry. And on a, in normal clients with uh, non-cannabis clients, we do that every three years. Got it. We are limited with cannabis companies until it opens up. Yeah. So those are the probably the biggest things. And then when it comes in terms of mergers and acquisitions is basically, you know, we have to make sure the ownership, as we talked about earlier, all the ownership with these mergers and then make sure that they are compliant. And then we would normally just roll them into the plan. We've done that several times so far where a lot of our companies are merging or acquiring other companies. If they have a plan, we'll just roll their document and their assets and their employees into the larger plan. And that is a fairly easy process. I thought it was going to be complicated, but having a law firm, ERISA attorneys on our side, they handle all that work for us, which is great. Yeah. No, it sounds like a nice partnership. Yeah, it's great. And so if um, a listener here, you know, a business owner, a cannabis business owner is interested in, you know, exploring or setting up 401k, what are some of the questions they should be asking themselves? And, and you know, how, how do they go about finding, you know, help with someone like you in terms of helping them set up the plan? What, I guess, what can they do on their own? What do they really need to get outside help for? Yeah, what they really need, if they want to do it on their own, if they could find someone, they would want to find a qualified third-party administrator and record keeper who can do that and a financial advisor to navigate the waters to make sure. The things that they, they really need to be asking themselves are what what do they want as a goal for a 401k plan? You know, to keep it pretty simple, is it to benefit the owners and the highly compensated and put away as much money as we can? Mm-hmm. Or is it a benefit that we want to offer to all of our employees so that they can save for their retirement and attract and retain new talent. So those are the two thought processes that they have to think about. And then from there, we would ask them follow-up questions on plan design, best practices, compliance, and then develop a budget if they are looking to put away a match. What does the budget look like if we can help them create the right mix of percentage of, of matching? So those are the different types of things that they would need to think about before setting up a 401k plan. Yeah. And if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? The best way is really one of two ways. Go to our website, which is hfmadvisors.com. And on the, there's a couple tabs at the top. You can click on the 401k tab and it talks about some of our services that we provide, or they can email me at any time at mpelosi which is P-A-L-L-O-Z-Z-I at hfmadvisors.com. Great. I'll make sure that the link, the email are in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. Michael, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me as your guest. It was a pleasure myself. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.